sound like Moses there for a minute. Did anybody watch that last night? Charlton Heston and uh, Yul Brynner going at it. Yeah, a few of us, yeah. I still like that old school Ten Commandments stuff. Anyway, hey, we're uh, wrapping up a series today called The Last Week, where we've been taking a look at the last week of Jesus' life and the events that took place leading up to the cross. And now today we go beyond the cross to actually Jesus' resurrection, one of the resurrection accounts. It comes to us from Luke chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. I want to just let you know about where we're going from here because we're wrapping up this series today. Our next series that we'll cover probably will run about six weeks. And I'm going to take a look at it. I'm going to walk us into uh, the letter of 1 John, probably the most difficult passage of text or whatever in all of the Bible. And so we'll be wrestling through 1 John together over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, It's a wonderful um, text with a lot to teach us about the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And so we'll let John be our teacher as we go through that together. Um, Let's stand and read together from God's Word, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. This is one of the resurrection accounts. Jesus meets up with Peter and the disciples, uh, cooks a little breakfast for them, and so we'll see that text together. Now again, I say this most weeks, but we stand to be reminded of where truth comes from. Our world has all sorts of opinions, and it seems like out there in our world today that the only truth that exists is what I think it is, uh, what my opinion is, or what I read on Facebook. Well, friends, when that stuff on Facebook, when the things you hear on the radio, when the things you hear at work don't line up with what's in God's Word, then we go forward with what's in God's Word, because this, at the end of the day, is where truth comes from. So we stand week in and week out to be reminded of that. All right, let's read together John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go out with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, "'Friends, haven't you any fish?' "'No,' they answered. He said, "'Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some.' When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish." Verse 7, "'Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "'It is the Lord.'" As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. All right, you may be seated. I want to walk through these verses together and just see what is this text teaching us? What does Jesus have to say here in these verses? All right, beginning at verse 1. It says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's named now after Tiberius, who was a Caesar at the time. Perhaps it's just a way to throw another token memorial out there in his honor. But we're talking about the Sea of Galilee, it says. And it happened this way, this particular account. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, who were the two sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Verse 3, Peter said, hey guys, I'm going to go out and fish. Anybody want to come join me in this fishing expedition? And so some of the guys said, sure, we'll go out with you. 
So we learn here that after Jesus' resurrection, after he had already appeared to the disciples in the upper room of the place where they had all gathered together, then another resurrection appearance takes place, and this is on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now we have a picture for you here of a church that's been dedicated to this particular spot. It's very near Capernaum. It sits right there on the shoreline. You can see the church is built right out to the water's edge, and inside of the church is this rock, and it serves as the altar table at the head of this um, sanctuary. And this altar table, this rock, is considered to be the place where Jesus met with the disciples there in this particular account in John chapter 21, where he cooked them up some fish, we'll see this here in a minute, and had breakfast with them together. This church is called Mensa Christi, which literally translates table of the Lord. And so the church has been put there as a reminder of, 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 this, of this occasion. All right, so we learn here again, going back to the story, that Peter has returned to the Sea of Galilee. He's gone back to fishing. He's gone back to what he was doing before uh, the Lord Jesus um, had ever called him into becoming one of his disciples. You say, Gordon, well, why would Peter do that? I thought that Jesus had told him, hey, Peter, I want you to go out and be an apostle. Peter, I want you to go out and be an evangelist. I want you to go tell people about Jesus. Uh, Peter, I want you to go out and be the head of the Christian church. Peter, why don't you do that? And so we're thinking to ourselves, why isn't Peter doing that? Well, the reason why Peter has gone back to fishing instead of going out and being an apostle, being an evangelist, is because of Peter had denied Jesus three times. If you remember the gospel account, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 75, it says, Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, You will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. See, the truth is that Peter feels utterly, because he had denied Jesus three times when Jesus needed him the most, that Peter feels utterly disqualified to be an apostle. Peter feels utterly disqualified to go out and serve the Lord. He feels like, well, I just blew it, and so I'm going to go back to doing the only thing I know how to do. I said, I'm going to go back to fishing. Um, and so, uh, so Peter said, well, you remember the account, uh, Matthew did we already read that one? Yeah, we already read that one. Okay, so go back to verse 3. That's where we're at. Uh, so, so they go out fishing. They say that night they caught nothing. Uh, so they've been out there fishing all night long. Uh, it's probably been a long night, probably been a little hot. And so all night long they caught zero, right? Big goose egg. Um, after all this activity, after all this labor, uh, poor Peter, right? He, he denies Jesus. He blew the whole apostle thing, blew the whole head of the church thing, blew the fallen Jesus, all of that. He blew it. Um, and here he is, and he's failure at fishing as well. The one thing he thought he knew how to do well. So he's a bad fisherman too. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Verse 5. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Because you all been out here all night long, right? No, we, know, we haven't been. He says, well, okay. Uh, verse 6. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some fish. Now, here they've been out there all night long. We've thrown our nets over the right side of the boat. We've thrown our nets over the left side of the boat. We throw our nets out the stern. We threw them out the bow. We've thrown our nets out. We've drug those things all over this lake. Who is this guy out here on the side of the shore? Remember, he's a pretty good little ways away because they can't tell who Jesus is. It's early in the morning anyhow. Not a whole lot of light. But they can't tell who this. And he's out there shouting, hey, why don't y'all try throwing your I mean, really? Right? Okay, well, okay, fine. You know, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And so they do, and it says, When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, talking about John there, said, It is the Lord. 
he all of a sudden, boom, realizes it's Jesus standing there on the shoreline. He said, well, Gordon, how did John know that this was Jesus standing there on the shoreline? Well, the reason why John knew is because one thing, they just had a miracle that happened, right? Been out there fishing all night long, throw their nets over the side, all of a sudden they got all these fish. Miracle? Oh, it must be Jesus. But John also realizes uh, that this had actually happened before when Jesus was around. Remember, Jesus had been out, Luke chapter 5 and verse 3, he had been out with the disciples, they were out fishing, or a little bit before that, he had been teaching these people from the boat, from the shoreline, because there were so many people. So Jesus hopped in Peter's boat, it says, went out from the shoreline a little ways and taught the people from the boat. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, hey, look, let's put out in the deep water. Let's go do some fishing, right? Feel like a good night for fishing? Let's go do some fishing. And so they go out, they do some fishing. Verse 5, Simon Peter said, Master, uh, after they've been fishing for a while, we've worked hard all night. You just told us to throw our nets over the other side of the boat again. Verse 5, he says, why, why, you know, we've been out here working all night. I haven't caught a thing. Um, and so see, I'm telling you again, Peter's a bad fisherman, right? It keeps happening. There's this pattern throughout his whole fishing career. But anyway, I worked hard, hard all night, haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, because you're the master, because you're the Messiah, because you're the man who can work miracles, okay, Jesus, we'll do what it is that you're asking us to do. We'll throw our nets over the other side of the boat. Remember, this is many years before this occasion in John chapter 21. And then he says, last verse, verse, 20, verse 6, when they had done so, when they threw their nets over the other side, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so John immediately, next time this happens, right, on John chapter 21, John says, throw the nets over, over the side. They start hauling them in. There's tons of fish. Oh, this is, this, is, this is not just a miracle that's happened, but this is Jesus that did this miracle. He remembers that this is Jesus. And so he shouts out, it is the Lord. And then Peter picks up on this too when he says, it's the Lord. Oh, oh, I remember I was in the boat last time this happened too. And it was Jesus that caused it to happen. And so Peter, it says, verse 7, As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Verse 6, verse 9, When the rest of the disciples landed, that is with the boat big full of fish, they saw a fire burning with coals on it, and there were fish, and there was some bread. And Jesus says to them, verse 12, Hey, come and have some breakfast. And then they built a church on top of it called Mensa Christi, right? So that's the way, that's the way things go. All right, so, um, so Jesus has this little breakfast meal there with the disciples um, there along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they have this little reunion together. It's one of Jesus' resurrection appearances, okay? Uh, verse 15, the story continues. It said, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? More than these other guys that are gathered around here. And so he says to him, he says, of course I love you. Of course you know that I love you. Um, And so you may be wondering, well, why in the world, though, would Jesus ask Peter a question like that? Um, Remember, it's because Peter had boasted before how much he loved Jesus, that he loved Jesus more than any of these other disciples loved Jesus. He had said, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said, even if all of these other guys, even if all these other players, even if all these yellow belly cowards deny you, Jesus, even if they, they abandon you, I won't fall away. I will never, he said, fall away. Fast forward from that moment two, three hours later, and Peter denies Jesus three times. And the scriptures record that the rooster crowed, and he was reminded that he had indeed uh, denied Jesus. All right, back to our verse, John chapter 21. 
verse 15. It says, Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Then feed my lambs. Verse 16. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt at this point. I mean, you asked me once, you asked me twice, you asked me a third time, now I'm embarrassed, right? And so Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. So Peter said to him, look, you know everything. You're God. <laughs> you know my thoughts. You know what's in my heart. You know that I love you. Of course I love you. And so Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now what in the world? is Jesus saying to Peter here? What, what, what's, the, what's the point of this line of questioning? Well, he's saying to Peter, Peter, you have blown it. You have failed. You said you would never deny me. I mean, you were vehemently sure that you, that would never happen. And all these other yellow-bellied guys, right, they may deny you, but I am Peter, right? I will never deny you. And yet, just a couple hours later, three times, and then the rooster crowed. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I hate to even tell you this, but I mean, not only did you blow it, not only did you fail, but I'm going to write this down, that story down in the Bible <laughs> for people to read. And like millions and millions of people for the next thousands of years are going to read about Peter. Uh, sorry, buddy, your failure. But that's not why Jesus came there to tell Peter that. He didn't come to remind Peter of his failure. That was right in front of Peter every day, all the time. Instead, Jesus came to say to Peter, despite your failure, despite that you blew it, I still love you. I still love you. And Peter, I care about you just as much today as if you hadn't blown it. I still love you just as much today as if you had never failed. I love you just the same, Peter, I love you. Um, you know what I love about this story is that God came looking for Peter. Peter was off trying to hide. Peter was off trying to just put that part of his life behind him. Peter was off basically just living in disgrace. He thought, well, I'll just live in disgrace. I'll just go back to my little life, my little world. Yet God came looking for Peter. And it was after this event, it was after this event, that Peter goes on to become the great apostle. It was after this event that Peter goes on to martyrdom, to say, I'm not even worthy to be crucified in the same manner in which Jesus was, crucify me upside down. It was after this event that Peter went on to become the head of the Christian church. It was after this event that Peter took the gospel and power throughout all of the world. That's what Jesus did. For Peter. Isn't that a great story? That's a great story. Well, that wraps up our treatment of this text for today, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question that we ask every week around here, the most important question, right? What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, great story, interesting about Mensa Christie. I'd like to go to Israel someday and check that out, right? But I mean, what difference does any of this have to do with me? That happened on the other side of the globe. What difference does this make to my day, my life, um, day in and day out? Well, that's a really great question. Let's see if we can answer that. 
What I want for us to see from this passage is that despite the fact that Peter blew it, despite Peter's disgrace, despite Peter's denial of Jesus and Jesus' darkest hour, Jesus still loved Peter. You see that in the story, right? You see that, that Jesus still loved Peter. And we have a name for that kind of love, and the name for that love is unconditional love. Unconditional love. That's the kind of love that we have on display here in John chapter 21. You say, well, Gordon, what is unconditional love? What are we talking about? What do we have in view? Well, first of all, let me tell you what unconditional love is not by describing uh, conditional love, okay? Here's a story that comes from Time Magazine from several years ago, and here's how the article reads. It's a sad story about conditional love. It says, she was never really wanted by her dad. She could never seem to do anything right. She was never hugged or told that she was loved. She began to feel bad about herself. Maybe it was best if she was not even ever born at all. Maybe it was her fault. Maybe she was defective. When she became a teenager, she ran away from home. She walked the streets and let men use her and got pregnant and had an abortion. One time she even got so desperate that she called home. Her dad answered the phone and simply said that you've been bad news since the day that you were born. Shortly after, she took her own life. Friends, that's a tragic story. And it began with conditional love at its worst. It began with conditional love. It's like what, it's what I like to call, back in Jesus' day, what he was dealing with is the gospel of the rabbis. The gospel of the rabbis, or conditional love, teaches that um, if you live right, and you do right, and you act right, and you behave right, then you'll get love. Uh, then you'll get to be a part of things. Then you'll get included. But if you don't act right, if you don't hang out with the right people, if you don't eat right, smell right, dress right, all that, if you don't go to the right places, if you don't hang out with the right people, then we'll not love you. We will disown you. And this was the gospel of the rabbis. This was conditional love at its worst. This was condemnation. This was an ostracizing of people because of how they lived. And sadly, a lot of us here know a lot more about the gospel of the rabbis than we do about the love of Jesus Christ. Very different than the gospel of the rabbis. Two different kinds of love. One is conditional love. That's what that young lady received throughout her life. And the other that Jesus shares here with Peter is unconditional love. Perhaps you grew up in a home where the gospel of the rabbis is how you were received. Perhaps you experienced the gospel of the rabbis at the hands of some friends at school. You didn't dress the right way. You didn't act the right way. You didn't talk to the right people. You didn't say the right things. And many of us experience this even as adults. It's much more sophisticated than it is out on the playground, but it's still there. And all of this, like the gal in that story, makes us feel bad about ourselves. It contributes to low self-esteem. Ultimately, it leads to the self-destructive patterns that we saw in her life. You say, Gordon, well, what's the solution to that? I mean, how does a person heal from this conditional love, being loved that way? Well, the way that a person heals from being loved conditionally is the way that Jesus healed Peter. And that was to shower that person with unconditional love. Um, that even if you dress bad, 
that even if you act bad, that even if you talk bad or you eat bad or you smell bad or you spend bad or you perform badly, Jesus says, I still love you. I still love you just as much as if you had gotten it all correct and right in the first place. Peter blew it. Peter had failed, and Jesus shows up to say, Peter, my, how I feel about you has never changed. I feel love for you, Peter, just the same. Peter blew it. Jesus still loved him. Peter was a failure. Jesus still loved him. Peter blew it big time. Think about that. He said, even if every one of these other guys fall away, I will never fall away. A couple hours later, and the rooster crows. Peter blew it big time. Jesus shows up to say, Peter, I know how you may be feeling about yourself, but I still love you. Unconditional love. We see here in John chapter 21, the Lord Jesus opening his arms to Peter. And friends, when Peter got loved that way, it renewed him. When Peter got loved that way, it restored him. When Peter got loved that way, it reclaimed him. He was given a great sense of self-worth, and that experience healed Peter at a deep, deep level. Friends, that's precisely how Jesus wants to love you. I'm here to declare to you today, that there is a healing, restorative, supernatural love that exists in the world and that this love is available to you in the person of Jesus Christ. You say, Gordon, that is wonderful, great news. I love to hear about that. But I'm just not sure if I can receive that. I'm not sure if I'm ready to receive that. You know, one of the reasons why we hesitate to open up our hearts when somebody approaches us with love, one of the reasons why we hesitate is because we've been hurt before. We've, we've opened up our hearts to people before, and we've been hurt because of that. Um, and we think to ourselves, you know what, I don't, I don't want to open up myself like that again. I'll just get hurt again. That's what's going to happen. And so we decide that we're not going to let anybody in deep enough into our heart where they can hurt us. Well, friends, I'm here to beg you to make an exception in the case of the Lord Jesus, to believe what God says in the Bible about the way that he wants to love you, to accept it, to let your guard down, to let Jesus in. And here's the thing, when we let God in, he will come in, he will heal us, and he'll do it at a level that no scalpel can reach, he'll do it at a level that no drug can cure, he will do it at a level that no therapist can solve. Jesus' love, his unconditional love, friends, is a healing and restorative force in your life. Um, I was reflecting this week on this topic, and I've had people ask me since uh, Claire and I ran marathon a couple weeks ago, saying, why did you do that? <laughs> right? Have anybody in here else thought that? A few people have thought that. Some other people maybe thought that. Why, why would you want, number one, why would you want to put yourself through that? Because it's terrible. And there's no fun in that. But anyhow, it's fun when you get done. That's about the only fun of it. But, and it gets worse all the way to the very end. It's not like it gets better. Oh, hit the you know, bad part, and then you're wrong. No. In fact, you know, some people say they have a runner's high out there. I pretty much experience a runner's low all the way through the whole thing, so I don't know what that runner's high is all about. So why do you do that? Well, at mile 25 and a half, 
So I see the mile 25 marker. I pass the mile 25 marker. And this has happened to me every time I've done one of these marathons. At around mile 25 and a half, um, I don't know if it's just the emotion of knowing that the finish line's coming soon, <laughs> that I'm going to get to lay down, that I'm going to get to put my, kick my shoes off. I don't know what it is. But something in me just breaks. And that happened again this past time. Not as bad as it had happened some other times, but that happened. And I just, I was running, I had my shirt off, because, you know, I'm really buff and good looking. I wanted everybody in Atlanta to see that, right? Not even. But anyhow, so I had my shirt off, and I just had to put my, my T-shirt over my face, right? I just had to put my T-shirt over my face. I didn't want anybody to see. I was just, just how badly I was just breaking down. It was just terrible. And uh, so I'm, I'm out there, I'm running along. I'm getting close to the finish line, and, you know, there's people doing this. As you're getting close to the finish line, I just had the, my T-shirt on my face. I didn't want anybody to see just how I was just feeling just broken, right? And in part, that's why I like to run marathons. Because I want to be broken. Whether it's in my quiet time in the mornings, whether it's coming in here to pray for you on Sunday mornings before church, or heading down the road and getting to that point of just nothing left. I just love to be broken. Because it's when we're like Peter. God, I've blown it. God, I failed again. That we're at a place where we can most receive God's great love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for reminding us this morning of the kind of love that you have for us. It's not the gospel of the rabbis. It's not conditional and dependent upon our performance. But rather, Lord, it is unconditional. Despite how we do, whether good or bad, whether succeeding or failing, Lord, you love us just the same. Thank you for having that kind of love for us. As we gather around this table this morning, Lord, some of us will receive your broken body and your shed blood, these symbols of your sacrifice with broken hearts today. Lord Jesus, love on us. Love us deeply. Lord, some of us will receive these elements this morning with great news, good things going on in our lives. And Lord, in all that success, we will give you the glory. And we will receive your love for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd stir in our hearts this morning. Encourage us as we share at this table together. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.